Davis. The hanging copper basin and ribbed wicker basket tucked beside the window seemed to conduct a private discussion, suspended in a time capsule of quiet reverie. It is the emptiness and solitude of the space that acts as a magnet of attention. The interior can be viewed as the section of a plastic cube within which the girl is framed, as an enigmatic object. Undramatized and immobile, a monument of tranquil reliability, decked out in the close-fitted butter-yellow jerkin and cream cap and the heavy indigo drape of her apron. How then does this reading of the milkmaid accord with other interpretations? Gowing surveys the work with a painter's eye. He seems less concerned with social or literal aspects of the subject than the physical treatment of the painting. Granules of light are scattered irrespective of the textures on which they lie. There is no plainer sign of Vermeer's direction, his movement of withdrawal from the substantial world. In the maidservant, light collects in pearly globules. The surface of the bread is lost under a separate mist of incandescence. On the skirt, where it is gathered at the waist, the points of paint lie like jewels, lending the cloth an independent and immaterial luster. Gowing raises the spectre of dematerialization, of dispersal of the object under the clinical screening of the painter's gaze. The emphasis in these texts on a field of illumination, a crystalline diffusion between the tactile object and the eye of the receptor, links Vermeer with the works of the Impressionists, of Monet and Degas. It also implies the effects of the obvious employment of a camera obscura, the twin-lens device with a projecting screen used by artists from the 16th century to scan their subjects. This manifestly useful technology allowed the most precise tracing of reality, and with that carried the artist into an analytical realm of the senses, whereby the sensual response to a seen object was substituted by a more neutral and specific analysis of space and light. This cooling effect into mechanical process of pictorial representation can be noted in other painters of the Dutch school of Vermeer's time, such as Pieter de Hooch and Samuel von Hoogstraten, and likewise in the architectural vistas of the later Italian master Canaletto. Edward Snow focuses rather on what he sees as an underlying theme of femina and sexual identity in the milkmaid, an approach which leads away from Gowing's painterly analysis and links more closely to the interpretations of Martin Pops. This interlocking theme is similarly reinforced by the shorter crossing diagonal that passes from the self-absorbed expression on the woman's face down across her tightly latticed bodice, through the jug held open in her hands, to the basin in which the milk is being poured, and finally to the bread glistening on the table. The condensed, channeled momentum of this diagonal suggests ontological continuity, even generative flow, as if the bread, the milk, and the open vessels were metaphorical extensions of the woman herself and the relationship established between her and the viewer. The temptation to immerse themselves completely in issues of womanhood that figure so strongly in Vermeer's paintings 
permeates both Snow's and Pop's text. Pop's drifts in a somewhat haphazard fashion through the catalogue of works, allowing himself an abundance of passionate hyperboles that often significantly hinder access to the paintings. Previous readers would appear to agree in their frequent exclamation marks by the texts. She pours milk from pitcher to pot with a seriousness we can hardly understand. She bears such a gentle relation to the vessel she holds that it is as if the milk were issuing from her own breast. She is the magna mater of nourishment and plentitude. We witness a mystery of vessels, a sacrament of bread and milk. We experience the solemnity of a religious event. Here, Pop's fantastic suppositions begin to border on the self-indulgent. Turning to Montius's excellent volume of documentary research...